Hey everyone, how are we doing today? It's good to see you, seeing some new faces here and uh, seeing some old faces coming back. It is a blessing as always to be with you here in this place. And uh, yes, it is great to see you. I know some of you had masks on when you came in. I think almost all of us had masks on as we came in, but now that you're socially distanced, we can see your faces. It is good to see you. Love seeing those smiling faces and those beautiful faces that make up our church family. If you are at home, I hope you'll kind of keep your scriptures open to 1 Kings chapter 17 that Eric read just a little bit ago. And uh, we're going to pick right back up in our third part of the series, Elijah, Bold and Broken. And so let's just kind of keep moving and jump right in from where we were last week and where we are this week. Last week, we saw that the transition was going from Elijah being at the brook called Cherith and now going to a new place to be taken care of by a widow that God has provided through uh, and is planning to sustain and build uh, that place with Elijah there where he can use that as a place to be hidden and yet also be prepared to do what God has called for him. So we can take a look at these um, different things that are going to be coming this week and next week. Today is problems and God's plan. I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. And then next week in part four is the big showdown uh, for Elijah and it is called I've seen fire and I've seen rain. And I think you're going to enjoy that message. It is a great message as we talk about how to show up big in our biggest moments. As you know, we're talking about this from the Great Lives series. And you can see this. uh, There's just a few of the different books. There's at least 10 volumes, actually, nine of them pictured here. And I encourage you, any one of these books is worth your time and worth a read. Now, I'm just going to talk about today the idea that kind of goes against pop psychology and modern theology, and that is this, that the truth of the matter is, is that problems and God's plan can exist in the same exact place. As a matter of fact, if you go back and read what um, Eric read about Elijah, Elijah is exactly where he is supposed to be, the very city and even the very household that he is supposed to be in. But as you listen to Eric reading that passage from 1 Kings chapter 17, you realize that unfortunately there is a death that takes place in that very household that Elijah is living in. And the woman who has been taking care of Elijah, the man of God, Uh, She is blown away that the difficulties that should be out there have actually come to her house. Well, I'm here to tell you for all of us, the truth of the matter is, is that if we are really honest with ourselves... The truth is, is that we can be in the very center of God's will, in the very midst of God's plan, and doing exactly what we ought to be doing, but it does not mean that we will not encounter problems. The truth of the matter is, is that all of us have been there when we know we're living and pursuing God as best we possibly can, but there are still going to be problems that find us because we're human and we live in a fallen world. Now, here is something to learn. As we begin to look at Elijah, he leaves the place that he had by the brook. And as he leaves that place, we we know that he's leaving there, one place that God had sent him to, because the brook dried up. 
So the very thing that was provided by God eventually dried up and he had to go to a new place. And then he went to this place that is actually about 100 miles away. And that's our first thing to learn. Let's check it out. Elijah begins to show his faith in God and his faith muscles, if you'll allow me to put it that way. Elijah's trek on foot from the brook at Cherith to the widow's home in Zarephath was at least 100 miles. And all while Elijah was the most wanted man in the entire country. So it is not something that you just go out and jump in your Beamer, you know, and, you know, hit the gas and you go that hundred miles. You'll be there in like an hour and a half. You know, it's not like that, right? It is on foot. It is not exactly the easiest guy to, uh, to disguise when you're talking about Elijah. He is wanted man, but he is also the kind of guy that stands out. As a matter of fact, if you look in the New Testament and you see how John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah, he was said to have worn camel's hair clothing, and he was like a rough-hewn guy, wild-looking hair, probably an awesome, big, huge beard that belonged on Duck Dynasty or something. I mean, he was not exactly easy to hide. And so he's the most wanted man, most difficult to hide, and he's walking through on a hundred-mile trek going from one place that he was in God's will and going to another. And so we can't Forget that he's in the midst of God's plan, and yet he has to face some problems. Now, as my guy, one of my favorite Christian rap artists says back in the day, Andy Minio says, how you plan on getting swole if you don't ever get sore, right? He says, how you plan on getting swole if you never get sore? The truth is, is that for many of us as Christians, we want faith, but we don't want to have to exercise those faith muscles, and Elijah has been there at the brook waiting and watching what God is doing. And he realizes that nothing is impossible for God. But then he says, get up from that place and walk a hundred miles where you could be found just that quick. And your life could be over just that quick. But he goes because he realizes that if God took care of him there and now says, I'm going to take care of you over here, then that's where you need to go. But it was not easy for him. I'm sure he was thinking, okay, you know, is someone following me? Did somebody catch a glimpse of me coming along? Let's reread this as well. Because just like last week, you read a section and then you keep going and you know the whole story. But the truth is, is that the characters in this story are getting it piece by piece and not seeing the totality of it. And so if you don't grasp what they know you don't feel the full impact of what they are doing and showing in their walk of faith. So I want us to reread this so we make sure and take the lesson. Let's check this out here. God says, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food, period. That's where the, the dialogue between God and Elijah ends, okay? So this is all that Elijah knows. I'm supposed to get up. I'm supposed to walk to this town called Zarephath. And when I get there, there's going to be a widow there that will take care of me. So he went and he goes. But here is what he finds. He walks into the town. I'm going to give you the New Texas version, okay? He walks into the town. And as he walks into the town, he meets the woman that is there that is the widow. And he says, this is who God has for me who's going to take care of me according to his own word. And so he says, hey, listen, man, I've been on a long, dusty walk. Can you please just get me a drink? And so she says, sure, I'll get you a drink. And she goes and starts to kind of dig up, you know, bring up from the well. And he says, and hey, by the way, I'm, I'm a hungry guy too. If you don't mind, could you please give me a little something to eat? Maybe a bread cake or something like that. 
And she turns to him and she says, you know, I can get you water from the well because that's free. That's for everybody here. But I'm here to tell you that I don't even have enough for myself and for my son. As a matter of fact, the very last of my stuff is at my house. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to prepare the last of my supplies so that we can have our last meal and then we're going to die. Now, if you put yourself squarely in Elijah's sandals, you realize this is not what he expected. I'm sure of it. Because if God tells you, hey, I'm going to have somebody take care of you, you figure that they probably have a lot, right, waiting for you on that side, right? You might not know exactly how it's going to all play, all play out, but you figure if they're going to take care of you, then they've probably got enough for them and for you as well, right? Amen? I mean, that's just how it is. But what's actually going on here is that Elijah goes and says, hey, you've got to help me. I don't have water to drink. I don't have food to eat. And she says, why are you asking me, man? I don't have those things for me either. My son and I are about this close to starvation. What do you want from me? Why don't you go and look for someone else? But what is happening here? What is happening here is God is about to be a blessing through and to all at the same time. He's about to bless through Elijah and he's about to bless towards Elijah. He's about to bless this widow and she doesn't even realize it, but it is going to take her faith step to see it happen. As a matter of fact, Elijah turns to her and in a stretching moment, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to prepare something for me first. And then when you do, you go ahead and prepare yourself and your son something. But when that starts happening, I want you to know what's going to actually follow that first step of faith. The oil that you need is not going to run out. And the flour that you need is not going to run out until there is once again rain on this land. This is a huge step of faith. Because I don't know about you, but if somebody comes and says, Hey, Randy, uh, if you don't mind, make, make me something to eat. And I've only got enough to feed my family and that person that comes. What I'm going to say is, God bless you. Good luck to you. We're going to take care of ourselves. Maybe search out for somebody else, right? Can I get an amen? That's how we're going to do it, right? But instead, he says, no, 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 no. Feed me first. And then God is going to show up in a miraculous way and sustain you in ways that you can't even fathom at this moment. Now, this is Elijah who has been doing the workout next to the brook, and now he's getting back into public, and he's about to show his faith muscles for the very first time. He's about to show that not only does he trust God, but he is calling other people to trust God and to go deeper and to go further than they want to, than they want to be comfortable doing. And he is calling them to do something that gets them out of their comfort zone, just like he's been out of his comfort zone. And as a matter of fact, Chuck Swindoll in his book talks about how Elijah begins this chapter as a prophet and in, or pardon me, begins this chapter as a prophet and ends this chapter as a man of God. And there are two different things there than just simply being a prophet who can speak for God versus being a man of God who has the faith that he has at the end. So very quickly, don't miss this. I want you to see this. 
God doesn't tell Elijah what else was in store for him later. We talked about this last week. He doesn't tell us what is in store for us later or where he may have to live. God simply reveals his plan to Elijah one day at a time, one step at a time. And I know that some of you guys even put in there in the chat last week, amen to one step at a time and amen to one day at a time because we've been there where God didn't reveal his whole plan. And here's what, can I just totally speculate with you guys for a minute? I imagine that Elijah would have just stayed at the brook if he had known that he was going to show up and that woman was going to be like, I got nothing for you. He'd say, well, oh no, this is not good. But sometimes we get moving in a direction and we're moving in God's direction. And although there are difficulties, we're clear that God has led us and directed us. And where God guides, as we said last week, God always provides. And so that is important for us to know. Hey, by the way, just in case you were wondering, if you're in the house, you guys can say amen as well. I just wanted to let y'all know that. Amen. All right. Very good. It's good to hear you. All right. So as we keep going, here's our second something to learn. And I've talked with you guys about having two something to learns during this uh, Elijah series. Here's the second thing to learn that God commands Elijah to go to the widow of Zarephath. And God had told Elijah only that she will care for him. He knows nothing of how bad her situation is. Don't miss it. So then we go back to first Kings chapter 17. I'm going to read 13 through 16. And I want you guys to check it out. It's a longer passage. It's on two separate slides. So let's go to this first slide. First Kings 17, 13. And we begin here. Elijah says to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said. But first, make that small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord sends rain on the land. And then we see she went away and she did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord that was spoken by Elijah. Now, very quickly, by sending Elijah, here is what we know. We know that God sent Elijah and here's what we figure out. God is sending Elijah into a difficult situation. Both Elijah and the widow are going to benefit from one another in some very, very tough times. But also know that God is allowing Elijah to experience how he is going to work through him, not just for him. Now, I'm about to say something that will probably make you uncomfortable, but I think it needs to be said. In 2020, we have shifted things around from a way that has never been the, the, the predominant view of Christianity. The truth of the matter is, is that as our world has become more me-focused and more I-focused, we have come to the place where we believe that the best thing that God can ever do is be a blessing to us. But I'm here to tell you by experience, the best thing that God can ever do for you and for me is not to be a blessing to us, but be a blessing through us. And if you have not grasped that, your faith needs to mature. Because the truth is, is that God has been a blessing to Elijah. And if he was able to send the ravens to him to give him the food he needed, I promise you, he could have figured out how to get water there too, right? Because he's already done that from a rock, ask Moses, right? He got water from a rock. It's possible God is the God of the impossible. But what is happening here is he's telling him to get up from this place and go to another place where he is not being ministered to, but he is ministering through 
his life to someone else. And probably we should grasp and understand that the biggest change is not coming, by, coming about for Elijah, but it's coming about for the widow at Zarephath. We don't even know this woman's name. She is just simply mentioned as the widow. Her name has been lost to history, but never lost to God. God knows her name and he knows her needs. That's why he sent Elijah in the first place. So let's not miss that. God is not just ministering to Elijah. He's ministering through Elijah. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 17 through 19, and it's up here on the screen. I'm just going to kind of read that with you very quickly, and then we'll share the big idea. 1 Kings 17, 17. Here's what we've got, I believe. Um, I tell you what, let's just go straight to the big idea. Let's do that instead. Let's go straight to the big idea. I talked with you a little earlier about the idea that mature faith requires that we balance ourselves out. We balance both our motion and our emotion. And I'm going to be very clear when God says through his son, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, all of these things. It is true and it is clear that we're supposed to love God in every possible way. Every facet of my being is something that I should be dedicating to my Lord. I don't need to go through my life and be in this place where I don't have any emotion about the God that I serve, the God that ransomed me and redeemed me with his sacrifice because I could not for myself. That is the, the, the message of salvation. That is the basis of the gospel. I can never lose sight of that. And when I hear it, even though I follow the Lord for, gosh, I don't know, 30, 35 years, whatever it is that I've been serious about my faith, it still chokes me up to think that God would do that for somebody like me. But here is what I also know, that it is not just a feeling that I have, it is also an obedience to the God that has given me so much. And when he tells Elijah, he says, hey, here is what I'm doing for you. There's emotion there, I have no doubt. But there's also motion and for many of us, we want to sit back and we think that the highest thing that we can possibly do is to just simply feel God's presence. And the truth is, is that that is incredibly important. But the balancing act is, is that just like Elijah is changed through the process of obedience, for most of us, God does not just simply leave us in the presence of God constantly to just simply soak that up and not have something for us to change in our world outward. If you go back and look at the most important worship passage in the Bible from Isaiah or Revelation, Isaiah 6 or Revelation 4 that we're going to be studying about, as you look at these things, you grasp that as we worship, eventually we turn outward and we go and we do the things that God has called us to do. So as we understand our mature faith is that we balance both our emotion and our motion on behalf of God. And it is so important that we grasp them both. Now let's keep moving here. Four statements for tough times. And these are things that were written straight from Chuck Swindoll's book. It's four statements for tough times. And here's, they, here's what they are. If you are a person who is going through a tough time right now, I want to encourage you. You might want to write these down. You might want to pause uh, your YouTube. You want to, might want to take a picture of this just so you grasp this. I am here by God's appointment. Elijah was exactly where he was supposed to be, and it was God's will that he be there. And I am in God's keeping. It is incredible to think about the fact that even though the widow at Zarephath was there providing, he grasped that ultimately it was not her, it was God who was blessing through her. 
And then, number three, I am under God's training. Now, let me just camp here for just a quick moment. For most of us, we don't think about what we're doing, the the faith muscles that we're developing as we continue to obey, as we go through hard and difficult things, the things that we would prefer to walk around, and yet God has us instead walk right through and make sure that we are holding his hand in the entire process. For most of us, we don't do a very good job of that. When we go through tough stuff, we're ready to give up, throw our hands up and say, God, where were you? What happened? back there. I was in your will and this is what you've brought me. The truth of the matter is, is that we are under God's training at all times. And most of us are just not paying attention. And then that fourth statement for tough times, God is eventually going to reveal his purpose to me and to you. It takes time, but he will get there. And if you are going through tough times, I encourage you, especially if right now you're wondering, hey, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about the coronavirus. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my situation you know, at job. I don't have any idea what all of you are facing. I have a feeling that some of you are facing similar things. But here's what I know. It might do you and I some good to remind ourselves by sharing these four statements every day that we wake up until we kind of feel that faith muscle getting strong enough to say, he's going to sustain me and he's going to bring me through and he's got a purpose for that. Now, let me just share this with you. There's some saints that have really impacted and in honor of the woman, the, the, the widow at Zarephath who has no name, I'm going to call two of the most famous names in the Bible and in the scriptural accounts. And I want you to listen to how they balance their emotion and their motion in following God. Think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is basically told, hey, you're going to be you're going to become pregnant even though you've never had a relationship with a man and everybody will probably turn their back on you, but you are the one who can say yes or no to God's work in your life. And she says, be it unto me as you have said. It is one of the most beautiful places of submission to God's plan, despite my emotions against it in all of the scriptures. It is beautiful. And then there's another passage in the book of Esther when Queen Esther is encouraged, hey, you've got to go and stand up for the Jews. You're put in a place where you alone can speak to the king so that we might live and survive as an entire group of people. And she says, this is not good because I can't go to the king unbidden, unwelcomed and uninvited. But she says, you guys pray for me. And then eventually she comes to a place where she says, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. In other words, no matter what, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, what God is moving me to do in my life, even though my emotions say to run away. But the thing that I know that I need to do is run towards what God is calling me to do. Very quickly, I want to hit pause and I want to kind of rewind a little bit. I shared this with you a handful of weeks ago. Uh, about a podcast that I came across that has been awesome. Maybe you caught it. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you intended to think about it and listen to it, but did not yet. 
Here's what I want to share with you. It's from uh, Lewis Howe's School of Greatness. It's episode 770 back in March uh, of 2019, March 13th, 2019. And this guy here on the right is a guy named Cal Newport who talks about the power of a digital detox. In this incredible podcast, um, he says some incredible things that I want to make sure that you and I hear and talk about. Now, before I read and quote some of this, I especially want some of my young people that are listening to this word that's being spoken. I especially want you to hear because I understand that at times we want to walk away from the things that are difficult. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to just kind of share something that I'm embarrassed about, maybe more than anything else in my life. I, I don't know for sure if that's the most embarrassing, but it is very, very embarrassing for me. Here's what happened. My mom and dad had a requirement. We could play all the sports and do all the school things that we wanted, but my mom and dad wanted us to have piano lessons. And so I was given piano lessons when I was probably about seven or eight years old. And so I was not feeling piano lessons, okay? Now, I just... I, it was hard for me. It was hard because my fingers didn't do the things that I wanted them to do. The beautiful music was here, couldn't make it come out right here. I, I'm sure I can get an amen from someone if you've ever tried to learn an instrument. But here's what I used to do. I would cram and just push and uh, just cram a full 30-minute practice into an hour and a half because <laughs> I would sit there the other hour and just cry. I'm embarrassed to tell you I was so weak-minded. I would just sit there and go, I want to practice the piano, you know, and I would literally shed tears like the piano was drenched in tears. It was embarrassing. It's actually in my own home right now. That thing that used to be an ancient torture device back in my childhood. And here's what I figured out. I don't know how it happened. I just know kind of in, re, in rewind. My dad, I came to my mom and dad and I told him, I said, mom and dad, y'all don't have to get me anything at all for Christmas if you'll just let me quit piano lessons. That is a true story. I promise you, Scout's Honor, even though I was never a scout, that was what I said. Mom and dad, if you'll let me quit piano, you don't have to give me a single Christmas present. That's when I was about seven or eight years old. You know you want out pretty desperately if you won't even have to worry about a Christmas present, right? And so my dad says, that's it, he's done. You know, he hates it. I'm tired of fussing and fighting with him, trying to get him to practice every day. He's done, he's out. And my mom turned to my dad and she said, I don't want him to be out. She said, I, I will let it happen, but I don't want him to be out. And he said, why? What's the big deal? He can't stand it. And she said, because everything that he gets involved in, he can pretty much do. But this is the one thing that is really hard for him to do. And I wish I could tell you that things have changed that I always took on the difficult things and that I'd always did the hard things even though they were hard. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you are a little bit like me, even now, much less when I was seven or eight, I realized that I was doing every bit of the energy that I could possibly pour into this thing to keep from having to go through a hard time and keep from becoming somebody who made their 
made their, themselves do something that was not coming easy. And you probably understand exactly what I'm talking about. And Cal Newport in this podcast says, when I was growing up, we had two rules. You played a sport and you played an instrument. And they said, that way you did your body, but you also did your mind. You had these things and you had to do both of them. You couldn't do one or the other. I was cool with all the sports, man. All the sports were good for me. It was the instrument that I wouldn't do. But my mom was on to something when she said, don't let him quit because it's the one thing that pushes him and stretches him and makes it difficult for him to do something that he doesn't love, but he will eventually grow to appreciate. I wish desperately I could play the piano now. I wish I could play the guitar. I wish I could play the bass. I wish I could do the things that I cannot do because I did not put in the hard work because I gave up because it was hard. Now, I don't know if you can feel where I'm coming from. Hopefully you can feel me and you can maybe give me a little bit of encouragement in the, in the YouTube comments or maybe somebody here in, in the house can give me an amen, right? I mean, it is hard to do hard things and it is hard to do hard things with emotion and stick-to-itiveness and all of these things, we give up too easy. Here is what I know. This is what Cal Newport wrote. He said, the competent person has a skill and they grow quiet and easy with themselves. But the non-competent person is out there yelling into the void online, desperately asking, will someone please validate me? That's deep. That is really deep. To think about how many likes you get on a post being something that does anything to your character or to your person. We've got it backwards and we've got it wrong. He goes on and he says, skills matter. We respect people who do something well. It is worthwhile to learn how to do something that is hard. Hard things are what moves our lives forward. Hard things are the foundation of fulfillment in all of our lives. The more I think about that kind of thing, that it's modeled and talked about, the better we will be. And I believe he is dead on. This is the truth. God was doing a hard thing in a hard man, and he was going to ask him to do something even harder than he believed he was up to and capable of. It actually happens in this chapter, and we're getting there right now. But here's what Nelson Mandela says. It's up here on the screen. I want you to make sure and capture this. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man or woman is not the one who does not feel afraid, but the one that actually conquers that fear. You and I will be afraid when we find ourselves on a precipice and a ledge that we know we're about to step off and we don't maybe have every answer figured out. But the truth is, is that hard things make us people that God can use and make us instruments for God's praise and his glory. Please don't miss that. And don't miss this, this second, don't miss this today. The widow lashes out at Elijah, but by her own admission, She didn't have enough to sustain them when Elijah came to her. Elijah was why that young man was alive in the first place. You guys understand what I'm saying there? And think about it. When he sees her in the the square and says, can you make me something to drink and also something to eat, please? She says, I don't have enough to keep myself and my son alive. But then at the moment that the young man dies unexpectedly and in difficult circumstances, don't forget this. This is true. 
She didn't think he was going to be alive for the next day or the next day or the next day. And yet months and months later, this happens where he passes. But her first thing to do is to lash out at God and the man of God. Now, here's how this applies in our life. We forget that God is our provider at all times. And it's almost like we think, well, God, you gave me an incredible job. You can never, ever take it away. Because if you do, then I'll be angry with you. And I'll blame you. And I might hold on to that forever. Or, you know, God, you've given me a blessing. But I don't ever want my physical health to stop or cease. Because the minute that you take that away, I'm going to be angry and upset. And say, why God, why me? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes God is the very provider of the blessings that we turn around and expect to never be able to cease. And we blame God for things that are not his fault. And I'm going to tell you, there's so many things to talk about here. But let me just jump down to two observations that Chuck Swindoll makes. He makes some really great observations in this chapter, and I want to share it with you. And then we're going to go to the I apply by. Here's what it is. Let's go here. He says, Elijah may have been silenced before the widow, but he was not before God. It is before God that he raises his tough questions. When that young man dies... Elijah doesn't go back and forth and say, no, 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 don't blame God. Don't do that. Don't, you know, you know, you, you can't question God. You know, you've probably heard that, which is not actually biblical, by the way. But, you know, it's interesting how quickly Elijah just simply accepted it and allow her to vent and allow her to be angry and hurt. And the truth is, is that sometimes people who are hurt say things that they don't necessarily fully mean, but it is difficult to kind of be in that situation and take them all on. But if you listen to Elijah there, he takes them all and then he says, just simply, just give me your son. Just give me your son. And then Chuck Swindoll makes an incredible point and it's right here. Up to this point in scripture, there's been no account of of a, a person that has ever been raised from the dead. And so in that second part of that Chuck Swindoll uh, quote that I put there, there has been no one who has been raised from the dead. Elijah is asking for something unprecedented from God. He says to him, God, you've never done this, but I want this boy to come back to life. So this widow will know that you are at work, that you are God, and that you can do all things. God, did you send me here so this young man would die while I was here in this place? Don't do this to me, Lord. I mean, this is the New Texas version, but that's exactly what he's saying. And then so he takes them and he he lays them down on this bed and he stretches his body out. And then in a massively, massively unsocially distanced thing to do. He stretches himself out on the body of the young man, eye to eye, face to face, nose to nose, arm to arm, his whole body on top of the young man's body. And he's praying, Lord, let this young man's life be returned to him. And it just kind of gives us the, the sense that he does that once and then walks around maybe praying a little more and then does it again and walks around and comes back. And the third time he does, the Lord answers his prayer and the young man is brought back to life. It is something unprecedented, something amazing. But if you know that God can make the ravens come and give you food every single day, twice a day, 
Maybe you have that kind of faith. And if you know that God can watch over you as you walk 100 miles, the most wanted man in the entire country, and nobody even says a word to you, maybe you have this kind of faith. Or maybe if you walk into a town and you get past the first impression of, God, I don't know what you're doing. I'm going to bail and I'm going to pull the ripcord. But if you go through that first impression and you say, no, 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 I'm fearful I, I know, though, the God that I believed in. And then you say to the woman, you don't have enough, but I promise you, you'll have enough. But here's what you got to do. You got to take care of God first. And then maybe you have the kind of faith once you've seen that the oil doesn't run out and that the flour doesn't run out and that God is at work in a mighty way. Maybe those are the things that make it possible for you to ask for something unprecedented from God. And here's what I would encourage you and I to grasp, that God can do anything. Can you all say that with me together here today in the house and even in your own house? God can do anything. Let's say it one more time. God can do anything. I don't know why he always answers prayers in his own ways. It's just a reminder that we is God and we are not. But I will say this, God is always able. No matter what you face in your physical body, God is able. Doesn't mean he always will, but he's able. In your financial life, in your relational life, in your spiritual life, in your job and you know, the, the career and your professional life, God is always able. He is always able. So here is what I know. God asks us to not just simply feel the emotion of knowing that he is able, but he often asks us to take steps of faith and say, do these things first, and then you will see me show up in a big way. It is not just simply emotion, but it is also taking the motion and doing what God has asked us to do. And here's how you and I can apply this message. I think we need to ask ourselves, what are we most likely to do in the area of our faith? Do we value emotion over motion or do we value motion over emotion because the truth of the matter is is that it's not good to do either one you don't need to be a person who's constantly going 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 and constantly in motion and never feeling the love and the presence of God falling upon you and washing you and hearing him say you are my son you are my daughter and I love you those are the things that we cannot do, but we also cannot be people who value emotion and then think everything is totally in God's hands. He's not asking me to do anything, but just sit. No, no, no. Most of the time, God partners with his people to accomplish his purposes. I don't know why he chooses it, but that is the pattern of God in his word, that he calls his people to do things in their lives. And in those areas, we have to be in motion. Now, you can see the motion scale or, or the emotion scale. You can kind of just get a visual image of these things and grasp that we can get ourselves a little out of balance. And here's this one, maybe a little bit weighted more towards motion than emotion. And then the next slide is kind of the opposite where you get a little out of kilter, but neither one of those is balanced. And that's what God wants. But here is the truth. In your life, you have to allow God to be speaking to you but you also have to say, God, what do you have for me to do? Let my motion be in your way and in your direction. We see Elijah here called to do difficult things, and yet calling God to do difficult things. Lord, meet this woman's needs even though I can't. 
Lord, raise this woman's son from the dead, even though you've never done it before. And next week, when we talk about I've seen fire and I've seen rain, he's going to call down fire from heaven. Spoiler alert. Elijah is going to call down fire from heaven in the face of over 850 prophets that hate him and want him dead. How is that possible? It is a person who has stood so long in God's plan and faced problems in the midst of God's plan that we know that it is not my emotions that speak to me about where God is. It is about God's word. It is about God's voice. It is about God's peace. And these are the ways that we show that we are at rest in him. And then when he says move, we move. When he says stay, we stay. Because we're listening, but we're also obeying. That's what real mature faith looks like. Very quickly, I'm going to end with a story. There's a story about a a, a water buffalo, a young water buffalo that approached his dad. And he said, Dad, is there anything in this world I'm supposed to be afraid of? I mean, I see you and you and your herd, you're almost the biggest thing out on the savannah. Is there anything that I need to be afraid of? And his dad turns to him and looks him square in the eyes and he says, son, you only really have to be afraid of the lions. And the little water buffalo says, oh, I've heard about the lions. I've even heard them a few times. And So if I ever see one, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn and run as fast as I can in the other direction just to get away. And his dad says, no, 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 son, hold on. If you do that, you will die. You run from your fears of that lion and you will die. He said, how? He said, because that lion can run faster than you. It can grab you from behind. It can pull you down. It is not okay for you to run. He said, well, what am I going to do? I'm scared to death. He said, here's what you're going to do. He said, you're going to stand there and you're going to look at that lion. And then if the lion doesn't go away, then you stamp your foot a little bit, make that lion go away. And then if the lion doesn't go away still, you take a couple of menacing steps and you blow out that noise in your nose and, you know, that kind of noise and you let them know. And if they still don't move, you kind of get over there and you kind of point your head around and make sure that he sees those horns and what they might be able to do to that lion. And he said, well, what happens then if that doesn't work? He said, then you turn around and you look around and you notice that you are not alone. You have a whole herd of water buffaloes that are with you. And they've got horns and they've got feet and they've got hooves and they're going to be there to make sure that when the lion attacks you, you are not going to have to face and battle that lion alone. Well, here is what the young water buffalo said. Thanks, Dad. I think I understand. Here's the thing. When we feel panic and we feel fear, we turn and run. And that, I mean, that never works, does it? Not really. Because those fears that we run from, they start getting down deep inside of us and they do a number on us that even just speaking about the fears, it's, it's, it's worse because it's never spoken of, so it's never resolved. And it becomes this low-level fear that literally physically does us in, but spiritually it does the same kind of damage on the inside. 
It, it, it keeps you and I from being real in our relationships. It keeps us from doing the things that we know that we need to do as parents. It keeps us from being the Christians that God has called and enabled us to do. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline, according to 1 Timothy. And so it is so important that we not give in to the fear, but instead we stand firm in God's plan and say, God, you're at work. You're going through something with me. You're going to be a blessing through me. You've already been a blessing to me. And I don't want to lose sight of what you're doing in this time and in this heart. Heavenly Father, keep us close to yourself. And as we see a shift and a change, as we leave the summer months and go into the fall, and as we begin a new school year, and as we begin new job situations, and as we begin difficulties that we have not yet finished and completed in this COVID world that we live in, or even in this world of racial injustice that we're still in the process of working through. Lord, it might feel like we need to panic, but we do not. We do not need to panic. We need to pull into you. And Lord, let you provide peace for us. And I pray that we would hear your voice, that we would allow your voice to flow over us, and that we would be in motion in accordance with your direction and your plan. May we be obedient, God, and become what you would have us to be. Lord, we love you. We ask that all things would be done in accordance with your plan in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together.
Just want to say, God, you know, as we get ready to end today, just thank you, Lord, for the word. It was such a powerful word. If you heard what Pastor was talking about today, God was speaking. What was God talking about? You know, if you didn't listen to it or if you feel like it didn't touch you, I just ask you to just take a moment. Take a moment and just think about what God is, is telling us. I want to go back to a verse that I felt like God was telling me, and it goes right back to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13. And it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by, by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. God didn't promise us an easy, comfortable life. Matter of fact, when we hear that verse and we let that verse resonate with us, what it's telling us is it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard if we want to go to heaven. It's going to be hard if we want to get to the promised land. Just like the Israelites, it, it's hard to get to the promised land. And we must realize that and ask ourselves, are we living in comfort? Are we living in comfort? When things get complicated or hard, do we back out? Do we say, bow out and say, that's not for me? Or do we want to take the easy route all the time? You know, today, when I came here today, um, we, we recently moved and I'm about like an hour and a half or so away. My daughter and I came here this morning. And the drive, I don't even have to think about the drive. You know, I just go and I drive and I know how to get here. It's easy to get here. Right? I've done it enough. It's pretty easy. It's a lot wide lanes and all that good stuff. But I remember about a year ago, I had an opportunity to go and see a beach called the Red Sand Beach. Beautiful beach. Amazing beach. My kids and my wife and I, we went to see it. However, to get to this beach was very, very challenging. It was in uh, Hawaii and it's uh, this uh, road called Road to Hana. This beach is in Hana. And to get to this, on this road, it's like a, uh, if you've ever been on it, it's like a mountain. And it just goes around and around and eventually you get there. But it goes like from sometimes two lanes that are very, very small. That's like one lane here to like one lane that's half a lane here. And you, you're going to probably hit something if you went more than like 10 miles an hour, 15 miles an hour. Right. Uh, and. But the thing about it was, it takes about five hours. It'll take some time to get there. It takes about five hours to get there. But when you get there, you're able to go and see things that, you know, you can't see on the mainland. You're able to go and see a beautiful beach that you can't see unless you go up that road. And I'm just, you know, that makes me think about what God is, is asking us to do. He, he's saying, that, hey, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to be uncomfortable. You're going to have to take that step and know that he'll provide still, but it's going to be challenging. And when things are tough in our lives, we got to ask ourselves, how do we look at that? Do we look like God doesn't care? Oh, man, I must not be blessed. Or maybe it is a blessing. Maybe as God is telling us something and he's saying, hey, you're moving down a path I want you to move down. It's uncomfortable. And yeah, I still want you to provide and bless others because I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless through you. 
so it's important for us to remember that God is always working in us. And even in our challenging times, there's a reason for it. And if we want to go to heaven, we're going to have to go through that narrow road. We're going to have to go through some challenges and trials in our lives. But we got to know this also. God is always with us. He's always going to provide. So as we pray, I just ask you to allow God to transform you, transform you from the inside out. Allow him to speak with you on the inside. And say, what are you going through today? What is God asking you to do today that you may be shying away from or turning around and going the other way? And ask yourself, how can you stand in the midst of the struggles and the, and the challenges and do what God's will is for you? Please bow your heads. Lord, Father, I just want to thank you, God, for being a powerful, glorious, awesome God. A God of all gods, a God that loves us despite ourselves, a God that sacrificed his son for us, a God that's worthy to be praised. Help us, Lord, worship you constantly, praise you constantly in the midst of trials. Help us seek out and know, Lord Father, that you're asking us to go down a path that may not be the most comfortable path. Give us the strength, the will, and ability to manage our emotions and to be able to move forward. To step, Lord Father, on that staircase when we have no idea if a stair is there. To know, Lord Father, that you are sending us down a path of the promised land. Help us, Lord Father, know that we are here to not only be blessed, but also be blessed through by blessing others, Lord Father. We thank you, God, for loving us. We thank you, God, for forgiving us. And even though we are wretched people, you're still here holding on to us. Thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you guys for joining us today. And we just ask you to continue Put God first. Don't allow just this moment to be the moment where you're thinking about God, but think about God constantly. Talk to him, walk with him. And as we lead today, you just heard God's word. Now let's go and live it. Thank you.